Welcome to The World Awaits. Travel tales to inspire your wanderlust. I'm Kirsty Bedford, journalist, editor and travel writer. And I'm Belinda Jackson, author, travel journalist and columnist. And we're your weekly co-hosts. Hi there. Welcome to our summer series, some of the best bits of the show from seasons one and two here at The World Awaits Travel Podcast. This week, we're taking you to lovely, lovely Spain with two of our best interviewees. First up, my guest is travel writer extraordinaire and sometime tour leader Ben Groundwater, who talks about where to eat paella, drink Jerez sherry, and why breakfast beer really is a thing in Spain. If you'd like to see more from Ben, visit bengroundwater.com. And our second interview is with Glenice Johnson, founder of small group walking tour company Wandering the World with Us, who tells my co-host Kirsty Bedford why she packed in her corporate career to wander the Camino de Santiago. Incredibly, she has walked it 35 times, and you can find her on Instagram at Wandering the World with Us. Hey, Ben, thanks so much for coming on the show. No worries. Thanks for having me, Belle. It's an absolute pleasure because we've got quite a few things in common, apart from both being travel writers. We both love Spain. We do. Love, love, love. Yeah, and I think we both feel that it's maybe a little bit underrated by Australian travellers. Even even though it's one of the most popular tourism destinations in the world, I, I feel like Australians maybe don't appreciate just how much there is on offer there. Yeah, possibly. Barcelona has really suffered badly from over-tourism. Maybe that's just where everybody stops in this enormous country. I guess so, yeah. I, I guess Barcelona and Ibiza as well. Or, um, you know, the Balearic Islands, certainly, I, I think people are pretty familiar with. Um, and, and to an extent, probably Seville as well, and maybe Granada, um, all of which are incredible destinations. But yeah, there is, there is so much more. And I feel like, you know, maybe it's just my personal group of friends, but having a look at my social media at the moment, it seems like every single person I know is in San Sebastian right now uh, in, the, in the Basque country. So obviously that is on the map too. But that still leaves us with a huge, huge country to, to explore and appreciate. Uh, and it's, I guess it's the kind of place that rewards you know, return tourism, going back a few times and, and giving yourself a chance to, to go to those amazing places like Barcelona and stuff, but then to, to explore a little further. Well, I think actually the whole San Sebastian thing might be your fault because you <laughs> loved it so much. You even moved your family there to live and eat for a year. I did, yeah. I, I feel like the blame goes back further than that, but to, to probably to Anthony Bourdain, who was the one who who I discovered it through, and I'm sure so many other people discovered it through as well. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've always loved San Sebastian. I've always visited there a lot um, and, and always really enjoyed it for, for numerous reasons, but mostly the food and the drink and, and the sort of social culture that goes with that. Um, and so in 2019, um, conveniently, just before uh, the world changed, um, I, my family, my, my partner and I, we had a, our first son, our baby, and, and my partner was on maternity leave. So we decided to spend the year in San Sebastian. Um, and, and so I was just working my normal job there and, and obviously Jess was on maternity leave and we had a whole year to kind of soak up the, the culture and the atmosphere and the, the style of the place while also looking after a child, which is not the easiest thing to do with a, a very young child. Um, but you know, we made our way and, and it really was a, an amazing experience, a life-changing experience for sure. I followed you on Instagram and I think you were also responsible for me packing on a few kilos. Ben's eating, I'm going to eat as well. <laughs> and that's now the basis of you leading a world expeditions food tour to San Sebastian, aren't you? I am. Yeah. Which I'm so excited about. I've, I've designed the whole thing. It's, it's basically the seven best days that we had in a year in terms of food and drink. 
I've condensed into into a one week tour and uh, just you know hitting all of my favorite places. Going on all my favorite day trips. Um, we've we've got one tour which is sold out already, which is in uh, which is in May of, of 2024. But we've we've just put on a second tour as well uh, in very early October of 2024, uh, which we've we've only got a few bookings for so far. So that if people are interested, there there is still a chance to to jump on board with that. And that's through World Expeditions. It is, yeah, that's right. Uh, World Expeditions. If you just Google that, you'll you'll find it pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, it's. It's going to be a lot of eating. It's going to be a lot of drinking. There's a bit of hiking in there as well. A lot of people don't realize that the the Camino de Santiago, the famous pilgrim's trail that goes through the middle of Spain um, from around Pamplona to um, to Santiago de Compostela, there's actually a northern way as well, the Camino del Norte, um, which follows the northern coastline and which actually goes through San Sebastian. Um, so we're going to walk up a small part of that from San Sebastian in the opposite direction uh, to a place called Pasaya, which is this little village a little a port village, basically a fishing town, uh, and and visit a couple of restaurants there, which uh, which is super amazing, beautiful. One of them is an old restaurant from like 1888, I think it opened, um, and they have their live seafood tank in this restaurant is a basket that is dropped into the river, and and so all this uh, these sort of crayfish and and everything live in this basket in the river, and whenever someone orders one, they've got a pulley system and they pull the the whole basket up out of the river in the middle of the restaurant. It, it's it, it's a space in the middle of the restaurant. And so they pull this basket up and, and grab whatever they need and then drop it back down into the river. It's really cool. I love it. Spaniards are really gloves off when it comes to food. They just know how to live. I was in Andalusia at the end of last year, traveling by train from Seville south to Jerez and Cadiz. Yeah. And the only tourists I was seeing, groups, bus tours, individuals, they were all Spanish. And I was talking about it with a Spanish friend. She said, well, what's the point of going anywhere else? We have great yeah. beaches, the food is great, I can eat well after 10pm. Can you do that in your country? Maybe in Melbourne you can, but everywhere else it's a bit of a struggle. Right. So tell us, what are some of those rules for eating like a Spaniard? Well, I, I was going to say, actually, uh, when you were talking about Spaniards holidaying in their own country, one thing that probably takes people by surprise and, and that you should know before you go is that Spain is basically... It's not. It's not really a country. Like there is no Spanish cuisine. There is. There's. There's barely even a Spanish language. Basically, it, it's a group of disparate regions that have all been sort of smushed together and 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 exist. You know, you know partially, happily under under a common rule. Um, but but every region that you go to in Spain has its has its really distinctive differences. You know, the Basque country where I was living, they have their own language, they have their own food, they have their own traditions, they have their own festivals. Andalusia in the south is completely different to that. Totally, totally different. You know, everybody knows about uh, paella. Paella you only find in Valencia. If you find it anywhere else, they're just doing it for tourists. It's not really part of the culture. Um, uh, you know, the, all the festivals are different. There are there are different languages in so many of the different regions. So when we talk about Spanish food and Spanish traditions, it's it's really hard to kind of sum up the whole country um, because everywhere you go will be slightly different, and the food that you'll find will be slightly different. I I think probably the the thread that ties it all together is a as a really deep feeling of of conviviality and 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 social uh, socialness if if that that's not even really the right word but but the idea that everything you do is shared with friends and their whole society and their whole dining culture is structured around meeting up with people and and enjoying other people's company and and that's something that I really missed so much when I came back to Australia and I still miss it's that you know when you it doesn't matter if you're in San Sebastian or if you're in Seville or or Madrid or Barcelona or wherever. Everybody goes out 
pretty much every day to see their friends and have a drink, usually alcoholic, and to have a snack. And I, I was talking to a guide in San Sebastian, and, and she was talking about how Australians just go out to eat so much. And I was like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, Bane, you guys go out to eat every single night. He's like, no, 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 that's just pincho. So that's just tapas. That's not, that's not, you know, then we go home and have a meal after that. That's not eating out. So they don't even consider what they're doing to be eating out. It's just such an ingrained part of, of their day-to-day life. So yeah, a lot of people will have dinner at home and they'll have that about nine or 10 o'clock. Uh, and so before they do that, you get hungry, obviously. So there's a, there's a meal called merienda, which is around about 5 p.m. So if you go past a bakery at about 5 p.m. in Spain, it'll be full with people having a pastry and a coffee and just to get themselves through to the next snacking time, which is around about seven o'clock or so. And that's when you go out for your tapas. Uh, and, and you know, tapas can be a whole meal. You can do a ia de tapas, which is a, a tapas crawl or a pinchos crawl if you're in Basque country. That's, that's kind of a fine thing. But mostly that's not really how people take this. Mostly you go out for one little snack and one drink every day to meet up with friends in a bar and have a chat. And, it, and it's people of all ages. You know, kids are out playing in the square grandparents are there, parents are there, people of all ages, all sort of walks of life gather together to have these snacks and to have this drink uh, and then to go home and have, have their proper dinner. And I just, I just absolutely love that. And that's, that's what Spanish culture is to me or what Spanish dining is. You, you know, you'll find different foods everywhere you go, but that idea of going out to meet friends and, and enjoy others' company, that's what holds it all together. I think you're so right. And speaking from personal experience, even as a solo traveller, you can get swept up into it even being drawn into groups because you're sitting there all alone, all sad. So if you had to list your top three places to eat, where would you go? Oh, do you want individual restaurants or bars or do you want towns? or How do you want to, how do you want to attack this? Give me a town, give me a restaurant, give me a bar. Sure, yeah, okay. I mean, obviously for me, San Sebastian is, is the pinnacle. Um, you know, Barcelona is a fantastic place to eat. Madrid is great as well. Um, but But for me, San Sebastian just has such a, a rich culture of, not just of, of that social aspect that we were talking about, but of inventiveness with cuisine. There's a real passion for for trying new things, even though there are the really rigidly uh, adhered to traditional recipes. There's also a culture of, of trying and, and creating your own different foods. They have these things there called, called chocos, which are gastronomic societies, basically. And these are clubs that people join, kind of like a sports club, except the sport is cooking. And, and so they have these clubhouses called Chocos and you go there every Sunday and you take turns cooking for your friends and showing off and showing them just how, how well you can make a thing or, or what you can create. Uh, and so that's the culture that this is coming from. So for me, San Sebastian, you know, there are a bunch of different sort of classic recipes that you can have, but you really can't go wrong if you go out in the old town or in the suburb called Gross, which is just nearby across the river and eat there, um, you know, you're in heaven. There's, there's really no way that you can... You can, there's, there's really no bad food. And, and the best thing is if you go into a bar and you're not sure, most bars will have a specialty that they do better than anything else. If you go into that bar and you say, hey, what's your specialty? They'll just tell you. Like they're not, they're not going to think, oh, here's a, here's a dummy that I can sell off yesterday's cod to. Um, you know, they are proud of what they do and they will say, this is the thing that you should be having. Have that. Um, so, I, so I really like that. Um, now let's talk about restaurants. Um, my favorite, probably my favorite restaurant in the entire world. I, I don't think you have to have fine dining to, to enjoy yourself, but my, my favorite restaurant I've, I've ever been to in the world. And I've been there a few times now is a, is a place called Asador Echabari, um, which is in the Basque country, not in San Sebastian. It's about an hour out of San Sebastian. Uh, and it's a, 
it's a legendary grill restaurant. The, the, the Basque country has these things called asadores, which are grill restaurants where people cook over fire. Um, and this one is, is kind of the original high end asador. Um, the guy called Bitor Aginzones is the, is the chef and he's just obsessed with produce, obsessed with cooking over fire. Any restaurant that you go to around the world now, essentially that is doing this whole cooking over fire thing, they're doing it because of Echabari, um, like in Australia. Uh, Lennox Hastie, who who runs Fyador, who's an incredible chef, he trained at Echabari. Uh, Dave Pint, who's in uh, Singapore doing Burt Ends, he trained at Echabari. Uh, there's there's a sort of family tree of people who have been at Echabari and are now spreading the word of, of wood-fired cooking. Um, and that's because... Exactly. Yeah, that's that's because of Vitor Argenzonis. Um, yeah. And, and if we're talking one specific dish... That's really hard. I mean, uh, I guess, you know, paella is the classic and, and it's one that everybody knows, but they're often really disappointed by because they have it outside of Valencia uh, where it is just being done for tourists and not done with a lot of love or care. So I would say, you know, it, it is a great dish and, and, and the paella is also the pan as well as the dish. So, you know, sometimes you'll find things that are cooked in a paella, which aren't maybe the, the, the dish that you were expecting. Um, but I would, yeah, you know, go to Valencia and, and try it in the place that it was born and, and where it's still really strong part of the culture. And, and I think you will really enjoy it. Oh, that sounds sensational. And the drink you must have in your hand multiple times before you leave. Ah, oh, again, there's just so many. I mean, if, you, if you're in the South, obviously it's, it's uh, Jerez or Sherry, um, but there's also also great wine in the South as well um, that, that has really, you know, individual grapes that you won't find, like Palomino Fino, which is often used to make sherry, but is used to make w- white wine as well, which has a really distinctive flavor and is really delicious. Then obviously in the North, you've got Rioja, um, uh, which uh, makes these really powerful reds, which are really delicious as well. But then there's cider uh, in Asturias in the Basque country. There's a really strong culture of cider houses, which have often been around for hundreds of years in the same family. Uh, they make a really distinctive, funky, light, lightly sparkling cider that maybe some people don't love, but I find really refreshing. Um, beer is beer culture is huge as well. A lot of people will just go out and have a beer, what they call a canya, which is a small glass of beer. Um, it's just so civilized, isn't it? It is. You can have a canya at lunchtime and it picks you up for the rest of the afternoon sightseeing. People don't, they, I feel like they have a much better style of drinking in, in Spain. It's not to get drunk, but everybody does drink. You know, they drink a lot. Like you go out for breakfast and, and you'll see people standing at the bar having a beer. Um, but, but the idea is not to get hammered. It's always with, with, a, with some food as well. And that's just kind of what you do. I've got one last question. What is the most bizarre situation you found yourself in your travels? And I know you'll have had so many, so it's really hard to settle on just one. It is. Yeah, this is a tricky one. Um, I, I was having a think. I was trying to decide. Uh, I was in a situation in, in Ethiopia once in a town called Lalibela, um, which, which has these uh, rock-hewn churches, which are basically churches that have been chiseled out of one piece of rock, and they've gone down all the way, like two stories down to make these. You know, they're absolutely amazing. They're, they're like, you know, Petra in Jordan is so famous, but, but hardly anyone knows about Lalibela, and they're just as impressive to me. Uh, and so I went to this place, but it's really hard to get to. Even from Addis Ababa, you, you have to fly in a light plane for quite a while. And so I was staying in, in Lalibela to see these churches. And when I'd finished, I, I went back down to catch my flight and it was a little bit cloudy and the plane from Addis Ababa couldn't land. And so they said, well, that's, you, know, you could hear it circling overhead and then it disappeared again. And everyone's like, okay, well, it's not coming today. So you have to go back to your hotel. Like, well, okay, well, I don't have a hotel. Um, 
And, and essentially the bizarre nature of this is that it just kept happening day after day. I ended up being in Lalibela for five days. And it, that it's a small town. There's not really much to do there. Everybody gets to, like, after a while, I would, I would go down to the airport and look around, hear the plane come past and hear it disappear again, go back up to town and people, locals would be like, hey, Ben, what, you're still here. I'm like, yep, still here. And uh, I ended up getting to know this little town really well. I ended up, you know, going to watch football with all these locals. They, this, this guy took me to his house to have a coffee ceremony, which is a really integral part of Ethiopian culture, which I thought was thing that I would then have to pay for. And he was like, no, I'm just, I'm just sharing my culture with you. I wanted you to come and see this. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, like it felt weird to be there. Like I felt like I, I shouldn't be there. And I, there were other places that I was supposed to be at the time. Um, and it was all just a bit bizarre, but at the same time, really rewarding to, to actually stay in a spot that no one stays in for very long and, and really get to know it. So it ended up being a really good experience. I reckon being stranded on a small Ethiopian town for five days qualifies as a bizarre. You've been listening to Ben Groundwater, who writes each week for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald's Traveller section. You've also got two latest books out. You're absolutely prolific. They are Neon Lights in Tokyo and Ultimate Food and Drink Australia. And the Spanish food tours coming up with world expeditions are sure to be brilliant. The first tour sold out like hot churros, and there are still spots in the second tour. We love Spain, and you've just given us yet more compelling reasons to immediately book our tickets back to this great country. We'll include all Ben's suggestions in the show notes, which you can see on our website. So thanks again, Ben. It was really lovely to have you with us. No worries. Thank you, Bell. So good to chat. You're listening to The World Awaits. Subscribe through our website at theworldawaits.au. Today I'm chatting with Glenice Johnson, who had an epiphany while walking the famed Camino in Spain and threw in her corporate career to launch small group walking tours wandering the world. And she's never looked back. Welcome to the show, Glenice. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Let's start by tell us a little bit about uh, your business, Wandering the World, and why you started it. Well, I, I took the advantage in 2013 um, to go and live in Spain for six months. I had a long service leave, and I thought, um, what am I going to do while I'm there? And my partner said to me, oh, look, we should do a week at the Camino. And I said, oh, what's the Camino? She said, oh, well, it's this great walk across Spain. It's about 800 kilometres. And I thought, well, we might as well do the whole thing. And so um, <laughs> off we went. Yeah, 800 kilometres um, is, is quite a feat. But walking into a village one day, and I thought, gee whiz, this is just why don't I think about more walking, less working, and share what I love? And that's really, it's really the, the point when I thought, um, this is what I'm going to do for a lifestyle business. Fantastic. And tell us about what you've been doing. So you've been walking and taking people on walks, which is which is what you do, right? You take small small groups? Yes. And I, I guess uh, when I come back sharing what I love, I thought, well, I think I can encourage a few people along and walk different parts of me now and different parts of the world for that matter each year and that way I can see what I want to see and do what I want to do. Had a lot of uh, guided groups uh, initially, um, but what has become really the self-guided. So there's some people, whether a, a one person, a two person, like a couple or a, um, or uh, friends or small groups, private groups want to go off and do it on be hanging around. And so therefore I actually create and craft something special for them, tailor it to their needs and uh, away they go. And I've got, now 70% of my business is self-guided. So um, tell us a bit about what you've been doing the last three months and, and where you've been walking with your groups. 
Oh, look, it's been so exciting to get back on the Camino track. Um, I haven't been there since 2019. I've walked into San Diego 35 times, so I have a lot of connections there. I know a lot of people there. I know the lady that in the gift shop on the at the first bend when you walk into Santiago, and actually I, I went into her shop, and we've never really communicated much because of my Spanish and her English, and I looked across the counter, and she looked up at me, and I thought, will she recognize me? And she burst into tears. She came around, she hugged me, and she said, I worried about you. So, you know, for me, this whole, the whole Camino is, it's not just a walking trip. It's actually an emotional journey. And that's what I think a lot of people are looking for. Um, it was just fantastic to see Portugal again uh, and, and Spain and, and really they're, they're at their peak in terms of uh, tourism. I went across to the UK as well. One dream was always to walk the coast to coast from uh, St. Bees to Robin Hood's Bay and stop in the small villages, the little guest houses, the bed and breakfast and that. Um, so I just had the most amazing three months and with a lot of people that have travelled with us before, meeting new people that hadn't walked before. It was just incredible. Tell us a bit more about the Camino and what is it that makes it such an emotional journey for you and for those who, who, are, who are experiencing it for the first time? Well, one thing I think is actually, you know, there's some challenges in there in terms of distance, in terms of terrain, depending on what what people choose, whether they want a shorter walk or a longer walk. So I think it's the the emotional and the uh, reward of actually making it. You know, like if you walk anything from 100 to 800 kilometres, that's a big feat. And it's the people you meet, the local people you meet along the way, as well as the walkers that you meet along the way, the stories you hear. I mean, the famous thing is, you know, um, the movie The Way where someone's carrying someone's ashes. Um, there's all of these things that actually happen in real life on the Camino. So it turns into um, something that's very important in terms of a journey in people's lives. And is, is that why you keep going going back to do that specific walk? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and even um, it doesn't even have to be Santiago where the emotion starts, that's for sure. And some people don't even finish there. They finish in different places um, for different reasons. It's just the welcoming that you receive, uh, like I say, the daily walking that makes you feel so fantastic. In fact, the walking's all about the guilt-free eating and drinking, if I want to be really honest, <laughs> but, but, um, because Spain has um, fantastic food um, and uh, and it's just a, a wonderful part of the world, but which if you go in the summer months, when I say summer, anything from April through to the end of October, ignoring the peak summer, it's beautiful weather. So um, we're really spoiled for choice. And what sort of people are you getting doing these walks? What are the what are their stories? Well, I think what's happened of late is a lot of people that had uh, the Camino on their bucket list are, are eager to get there. But in the past, I think there's been people that um, have just wanted a really long journey. They wanted to kind of shake some of the um, their daily routine that they're either sick of their job or sick of their lifestyle or or just want something completely different. And they find that that long walk actually gives them that reflection time, resets their compass and gives them different a different breathing space and a different outlook on life. Fantastic. And you said that um, obviously the, the UK walk was one that you were really wanting to do too. What What's special about that walk? Well, I, I guess for me also, I lived in the UK for eight years, so I've always had a, a, a you know a passion for it in many ways. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty tough walk, especially in the first few days, but there's just something quite beautiful about the the northern part of England and um, going from what going from the Irish Sea to the North Sea um, and just the landscape you know you've got the moors and the dales but you've also got the most picturesque lake district so there's a whole lot of lovely scenery as well as the wonderful people that that welcome you into their inns. 
It sounds like you're uh, not spending too much time in one place these days. <laughs> Well, that's right. And look, some people say, how do you live out of a suitcase? I didn't even notice it. We, we do uh, a luggage transfer, so all I have to do is unzip a couple of sips, change clothes, sip them up again, <laughs> let somebody else do the hard work. Uh, hilarious. So are you seeing an increase in people wanting to do walking holidays? And what, what, why do you think that is, if, if that is the case? Oh, a huge increase. I think probably because of COVID, people started walking and realising that that's actually quite a nice way to go. So... That combined with people having things on their bucket list, which I think are now floating to the top of, as an urgent thing to do, is what really has created a huge momentum for the Camino in particular. Is there a specific sort of type of person that you're seeing? Or is there, is there a, um, an increase in, in females or solo travelling or, or what, what's sort of some of the trends that you're seeing? Yeah, look, there's always been more females than males, I've found, um, especially on the, the guided trips. But even with the single, uh, sorry, even with the self-guided, there's a lot of women doing them, doing long walks on their own, which I really take my hat off to. Sometimes they're a little nervous in the beginning when I'm talking to them about their journey, but you can tell that they're just going to have a walk of a lifetime. And when you talk to them at the end, I mean, I always reconnect at the end and, and find out what they've discovered and they've just got stories galore and they just feel so empowered and so confident. They, people grow in confidence with these walks, whether it's something they do on their own or with a group. They just see themselves a bit differently and they understand that health, you know, the, the importance of health and, of course, walking helps enormously with that. Yeah, fantastic. And so what, what specifically are some other areas that you're seeing people are wanting to go to and, and, and walk in? What are some, or what are some of the specific uh, tracks, uh, um, you know, that, you, that you're doing with people? Well, certainly Japan is well and truly um, back on the radar and, and it's always been a popular destination, but certainly a lot more walking in Japan now with some of the trails like the Nagasendo Way and the Kamano Kodo. So we find that the minute we send out a note about one of those those walks, um, people sign up immediately. It's a fantastic part of the world. It's one of my favourite countries as well, Japan. Beautiful people. Such a different culture to anywhere else in the world. It's completely unique in every way. So um, that combined with the UK, like I mentioned, whether it's England, Scotland, Ireland, uh, certainly uh, Italy's getting a lot of attention as well. Um, and then there's, there's other parts like people are still putting their hand up to go to places like Nepal and, and see the beauty of the, the Himalayas as well. And how many kilometres are you sort of averaging per day? Well, we vary things depending on, I mean, I do a, a lovely trip called the Leisurely Way, which I really enjoy with people that, that just want it to be a little bit slower pace. So, you know, it's only about 12 kilometres. But then I will, I will actually tailor uh, the longer 800 kilometre walk for people who walk up to 30, 35 kilometres a day. Uh, and um, so it, it really depends on the person and what they're looking for. But there's, there's options out there for everyone. If I was wanting to do um, a walk and I hadn't um, or, you know, been on sort of a walking um, travel experience before, what, what would be sort of where, where would you recommend people start? I really think the Saria to Santiago, it's 100 kilometres, it is the most popular path. I, I think the trick is to get the timing right so that you're not with, you know, the hordes of people because it is a popular path. But I think that path has a great energy, a great feel. You're seeing lots of forest. There's plenty of cafes to go as fast or slow as you like if you want to have a long coffee in the morning or a long lunch on the way. Uh, there's plenty of accommodation places and they're nice, unique, rustic, wow, charming sort of places. So you can tailor that again to what you're looking for or, downgrade if you want to brave it and do the uh, the bunk style accommodation, which we certainly don't do. 
Um, so I, I would highly recommend that, and it's a great starting point to understand how you can how your body's going to to behave um, with a hundred kilometre walk. Absolutely. And so, what's next for you? Where are you? Where are you heading to next? And and how long are you planning on continuing to doing these? <laughs> well, I certainly don't have an end date. Um, I'm actually off to the Kimberley this weekend, so I'm pretty excited about that. We have a walk there, which I have a couple of guides that are going to look after me rather than the other way around. So I'm looking forward to that. But I'm also really looking forward to, to September, where I'm heading back to go over the Pyrenees again. I'm guiding this lovely lady who's meeting up with her husband in Pamplona. She doesn't want to go over the Pyrenees on her own. And I said, I'll go with you. Um, it's just a beautiful part of the Camino. You come, you know, you start in the, the, the base of the Pyrenees in France and go across to Pamplona in four days. And then I'll continue on to um, guide a few groups on that Sari, the Santiago stretch that I love. Gosh, what a lifestyle. You're making me incredibly jealous. Um, <laughs> come with me. Come with me. I, I would love to come with you. So, look, we end all of our interviews with this question. So tell us what's the most bizarre situation you've found yourself in during your travels? Oh, well, there's quite a few, I guess. Um, I guess one of the one thing that will always um, make me smile is the language barrier that um, can work for you or against you. Um, I was in a restaurant one night with a a dozen people in my group and um, well, I thought I'll give them a, a little bit of a treat here and before we have our main meal I'll just get you know some nice chorizo some of their nice calamari their padron peppers for everyone to have a taste so so I've ordered that uh, quite confidently in um, my best Spanish this is quite a few years ago and sort of out it comes I thought oh this is fantastic you know just a platter nice nice size platter for everyone but they bought out 12 so I then had to busily offer the uh, the platters to the rest of the people in the restaurant because there would have been enough food for us to eat for three nights. They're, they're very generous with their portion sizes, the Spanish. So, um, yeah, certainly the language barrier, um, which nowadays Google Translate helps with enormously. But yeah, yeah, there's been a few little tricky things along the way. I guess it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> it could have, Kirsty. It could have absolutely. <laughs> oh, look, thank you so much. It's been fantastic to talk to you, and um, and good luck in the Kimberley. Oh, pleasure. Thank you so much. That's a wrap uh, for The World Awaits this week. Click walking, to subscribe like to anywhere you it. listen to your favourite pods. And where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm at Kirsty Wrights on Instagram. That's K-I-R-S-T-I-E Wrights, W-R-I-T-E-S. And where can people find you, Belle? You can find me at globalsalsa.com or on Insta at global underscore salsa. Thanks for joining us on this summer series of The World Awaits. See you next week.